Jesus Christ, the crucified. That's who we gather together around the table to remember. When we read about Jesus instituting this new Passover meal, this reconfigured Passover meal, he told his disciples that this is his body, this is the blood of the new covenant. And I imagine for the disciples in that moment, as they were taking the Lord's Supper, that they didn't quite understand. They were trying to make sense of what this was. And, of course, the following days, it would become clear that the Lord's Supper was connected to the cross. And our union with God and uh, the cleansing of our guilty consciences and the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God and The triumph over evil finds its foundation there in the death of Jesus on the cross. And there are layers and layers of meaning about the cross. Lots of books have been written about it. Uh, We're going to spend some time on the cross this week and next week because in Paul's letter to the Philippians, you might want to turn there, that will be our sermon passage will be Philippians chapter 1. But the central passage of Philippians is the story of the cross, as told in what many call the Christ hymn, uh, the story of Jesus emptying himself, pouring himself out for the sake of others, followed by his great exaltation. And as we think about this idea of spirituality, uh, we've been working through this series called Missional Spirituality. What does spirituality mean Uh, Certainly the cross is at the center of that. Uh, For Paul, to borrow a popular phrase, it's the cross that not only saves us, but it's the cross that shapes us. And here at Brentwood Oaks, we are part of a cross-shaped community as we pour ourselves out for the sake of others. So this morning, we're going to spend some time, on the one hand, with the connection of Jesus and the suffering at the cross On the other hand, to the church and the suffering of the cross. And to do this, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. It's a short passage this morning. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. Hear the word of God. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. May God bless the reading of His Word. Do you wear a cross this morning? Do you wear a cross? It's a popular thing to do. Uh, People will wear crosses as necklaces. 
Uh, they'll wear them as bracelets. They'll wear them on their t-shirts. Uh, we have a cross in the negative space of our logo. The cross is everywhere. Do you wear a cross this morning? Interestingly enough, our spiritual ancestors, the people in Philippi, uh, the Christians of the early church, would never have worn a cross. It was too offensive. This instrument of death, this instrument of humiliation. I was trying to think earlier this week of something akin to it that would be so offensive in today's terms. Things that we wouldn't think about wearing. Uh, for instance, uh, if you wore on, a, on your necklace, if you wore a symbol of a noose uh, that represented all the terrible lynchings in the Jim Crow South. Or if you wore on, as a bracelet uh, the gas chambers that slaughtered millions and millions of Jews in the Holocaust. Or if you wore the symbol of an electric chair, the instrument of death for the vilest offenders, I think we would be getting into the ballpark of how offensive it was, uh, the cross in the Roman Empire. The cross was truly offensive in the Greco-Roman world. No one would think about wearing a cross. But there are other ways to wear a cross uh, beyond just wearing the physical symbol. To claim to be a believer in Jesus, this Jewish rabbi who died this most humiliating death, and not just to believe in Jesus, that he died and rose from the dead, but also to confess him as Lord and King was to wear a metaphorical cross during that time period. Confessing the kingship of Jesus was offensive, especially in a city like Philippi, this Roman colony in Macedonia. Uh, Philippi was essentially a military retirement center. Uh, veterans who fought for the empire were rewarded for their service, and they were given uh, this ability to resettle in this beautiful city of Philippi. And so Philippi was this city of fervent nationalism and loyalty to the Caesar and loyalty to the Roman gods and pride in what's called the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. And any opposition to these loyalties would be met with a very swift and brutal response and reaction. Now, we don't know what opposition Paul was referring to when he told the Philippians that they were not to be frightened in any way by this, this opposition. Uh, but one can imagine that it had to do with their confession of Jesus in a Roman colony. One can imagine that it had to do with wearing the cross there in Philippi and making such a claim that the Savior and Lord of the world died on a cross and that allegiance should be given to Him and Him alone above all other loyalties, well, that certainly would invite suffering. Uh, now, Paul's writing to a group of Christians who were being attacked on two different fronts. They were being attacked from within through division. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. But in our sermon passage, it's the other front in play. Uh, there are forces that are attacking this church, these little house churches from without, and the specifics are not given as to what this suffering was exactly. But it's not implausible to do a little speculation that because of their confession, these forces are attacking the church physically, socially, 
emotionally, and certainly economically. These are four pressure points that were designed to force the church to live in fear and to cower down. And to wear the cross is difficult because the cross of Jesus is offensive. To wear the cross in Philippi, to identify as a follower of Christ, would be costly. Fast forward. This morning I have two stories about wearing a cross. One story is about an Aggie. The other story is about a Longhorn. I'll be the Aggie. Both these stories are true. Both these stories took place at about the same time in the late 90s. For my part, I wish it was a story of great bravery, uh, but it turned out to be an accidental wearing of the cross, but it certainly was illuminating to me. Uh, This happened when I was invited by a good friend of mine, Uh, she was just a friend, uh, to a Bebo Norman concert there at uh, a venue called Shadow Canyon. I don't know really any Bebo Norman songs, I just wanted to go. Shadow Canyon is located in what's called Northgate in College Station. It's the bar district. Uh, It's where the Dixie Chicken is. It's where Aggies go uh, to sow their wild oats. And uh, thousands and thousands of Aggies have done so. Anything and everything is available there at Northgate. And Bebo Norman was a Christian artist, by the way. I didn't mention that. So I was walking with my friend through Northgate, and I started to hear some jeering, some jest, some laughing. Uh, One guy walked by, and as he passed me, he yelled, oh no, the Christians are coming, the Christians are coming. And uh, I couldn't make sense of it. And this happened that whole stretch of that walk toward Shadow Canyon. And I was thinking, what's going on here? And then I looked down, and I realized I was wearing... My Aggies for Christ spring retreat shirt. And on the front of it was this big cross. Now, I had not planned that. I wasn't trying to make a statement, but within 30 seconds of that first comment, I was regretting it. I was trying to hide my cross under a bushel because the cross is offensive. I forgot where I was. The story of my Longhorn friend was a story of bravery. He wore the cross in a different way. He was in a freshman psychology class with probably 200 other students. The professor went through an exercise with the class and he would call out different belief statements and he would have the students stand up if they believed in this certain statement. Uh, This wasn't a religious test, but it was just, well, it was psychology 101. The way my friend tells it, the professor had gone through several topics, and then he came up to one, he pulled out his card, and he started to laugh a little bit, and he said, well, I know we're not going to have anyone stand up for this one. And then he said, premarital sex is wrong. My friend had a choice. 
he was a devout Christian. No one in that class was going to stand after that, uh, that preface from the professor. Would he wear the cross? Would he rat himself out? Or would he cower down under the pressure? Well, I thought about that. At 19 year, years old, I'm not sure what I would have done. But my friend was sure. In front of 200 other students, he stood. And he stood alone. And there were some whispers. There were a few laughs. To his credit, the professor started to talk and was actually fumbling over his words. And he quickly moved to the next card. He didn't expect that. He didn't expect that kind of boldness from a freshman. A freshman wearing the cross. That was around 25 years ago. Back then, wearing the cross, whether wearing it accidentally or wearing it in a very decisive way, was very offensive. And no doubt there are people in this room who have worn the cross in various settings, in schools, in your workplaces, maybe around family dinner tables, some holidays, and you have received a negative reaction. You've received ridicule. You received some jest. But here in 2023, the game board seems to be shifting. Schools, certain corporations are feeling pressure. A pressure to conform to certain ideologies. Ideologies that run counter to the cross. One might even say are enemies of the cross. And to take a stand could cost a Christian their livelihood. It could cost a Christian a promotion. It could cost a Christian emotional, social, and economic suffering. And we know that all over the world right now, and we have that in our Thursday section of our order of worship, we pray for the suffering church. Our brothers and sisters all over the world right now are suffering in all these fronts, but also physically some even to the point of death for wearing the cross. And the world is not worthy of them. Because wearing a cross is offensive. Identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ is costly. It's costly now. It certainly was costly then. Back to Philippi. Here in our sermon passage, Paul is offering the church of Philippi a new perspective on their suffering, a kind of missional suffering. And given Paul's circumstances in prison, his words would carry some weight. And so he begins exhorting the church, telling them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now it's hard to see in our English translations, but this phrase, conduct yourselves, is loaded with political undertones. In fact, the word in verse 27 for conduct yourself is this word right here. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't bring Greek up often in sermons. But you can see the word political within that Greek word. 
there is a public presence of the church there in that Roman colony of Philippi. And Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is politically loaded, especially in a Roman colony where Caesar is Lord. Gordon Fee suggests this paraphrase, given the political undertones of what Paul is saying. In verse 27, Fee says this, Live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Let me repeat that. Live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. And of course, Later on in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul tells the church that their true citizenship is in heaven. Their highest allegiance is in heaven. Their behavior, their conduct flows from heaven. And if one is living out their heavenly calling in a Roman colony, this will invite suffering. And Paul says, don't be frightened. Some of your translations say, don't be intimidated by those in opposition, whatever or whomever that may be. Don't be afraid when you hear the snickers and the ridicule. Don't be intimidated when they come for you, when they come for your home, when they come for your family. Don't be frightened when they take your livelihood away. Your suffering has a mission to it. Paul says that your suffering, your boldness, is both a sign and a gift. Your boldness is a sign. Your suffering is a gift. When you take a stand as one body and the one spirit, and I think Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit here, when as one group of people, like a military unit, you, you strive together as one unit, and you see this in your Greek history textbooks, and maybe you see this in movies. I think of the opening scene of the movie Risen, when, when the Roman soldiers are attacking the Jewish zealots, and they, they bunch up into this military unit, and they have shields in front, and shields on the side, and shields above, and they have these spears coming out, and it is very intimidating as they move toward the zealots, and there's nothing that the zealots could do. But Paul says, when you do this, It's a sign. It's a sign of your opponent's destruction and of your salvation. Of course, we pray that our opponents will see and read the sign and that they will come to faith. But there are no guarantees. The boldness and conviction of a people who wear the cross in word and in deed is a sign to the world of the truth of the gospel And there's nothing more powerful than a group of people who hold firmly to their convictions with everything they have. And they suffer for it. But then Paul says something strange. He says, your suffering is a gift. It's granted. It's granted by God. Not only that they believe, but that they suffer for the sake of Christ. Now this is a thread that runs throughout the entire New Testament. We see it all over the place that suffering is normal. Paul normalizes the suffering when the kingdom of God invades the kingdom of this world. At that intersection there is heat 
There's friction. There is suffering. Paul says that's actually normal. We might ask, well, how is that suffering a gift? Well, it's a gift in the same reason that Peter and John rejoiced after their beatings in front of the Sanhedrin. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Suffering is a gift in what Paul desires later in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. We're going to sing this as an invitation song when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and may share, have fellowship in, have, have koinonia with His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It is the path of the Christ Him. That on the other side of suffering, on the other side of emptying oneself for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is victory, there is reward. It is the gospel with flesh. It is full participation in the good news as the kingdom of God invades this world. As one author put it this week in my readings, as the church loves their enemies to death. But it's not that we go and seek it out. It's not that we go down to the UT campus or A&M or wherever and we go down with our bullhorns and our sandwich boards signs and, and we begin shouting. So this weekend was a big weekend in Austin, Texas. Friday and Saturday was the Austin Pride Parade, a big event here in Austin, Texas. And Paul is not calling upon the church to go down to the pride parade with the big crosses on our shirts and to say things like sex outside of the confines of marriage is sin. As true as that statement may be, that's a kind of self-initiated martyrdom. That's not what Paul's advocating. That's not the kind of tactic. That's not the kind of suffering he's talking about and I actually believe this is the opposite of conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There are other ways to get our point across through love, hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield is a name. If you are not familiar with Rosaria Butterfield, I would encourage you to read her books, watch her interviews. She has a lot to say on that particular topic. But our approach to our neighbors comes not from a place of moral superiority or condescension. It comes from the foot of the cross. But as we seek to discern the times and our culture and we look at the traje trajectories around us, we may be coming upon a time here in Austin. Maybe we're already here in some ways. We're coming upon a time when the professor will call out the church and call upon the church to take a stand and will be called out in front of the class to see if our convictions are real. And to take a stand to wear the cross will be costly. It could cost us our tax-exempt status. It could cost us family relationships. It could cost us business connections, our livelihoods. It could cost us our emotional and social comfort. 
It could cost us our reputations under false accusation. But what I hear from Paul is a word to the people of Philippi and a word to the Brentwood Oaks Church of Christ. It's to count the cost of wearing the cross. To count the cost now. Not to go on the offensive as if charging a fortress, but to make up our minds now as a body. When the professor calls out the belief that we'll be ridiculed, we will not hide our crosses under a bushel, but we will stand with conviction, not being frightened by our opponents, but striving together as one in the one spirit a kind of missional suffering, a sign for our opponents of the truth of the gospel. We believe it in our bones. We believe it so much that we're willing to suffer for it. It's a sign, but it's also a gift, a gift to join in with the company of the saints with the opportunity to boldly claim our allegiance and our heavenly citizenship, knowing that the resurrection from the dead awaits His saints. Brothers and sisters, this is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of following Jesus Christ, the crucified. But by His grace, we know that we will accomplish this mission no matter what awaits us in the future. And yet, we do this together as a body. We do this together in the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. The invitation before us this morning is to count the cost. Maybe you're in a situation right now where it's hard to discern what the best way to go about forward is and wearing your cross Your brothers and sisters are here to help. We're here to pray. We're here to walk alongside you. We made those promises to one another when we stood up together and affirmed these promises before our Lord. If you'd like to respond to the good news of Jesus, the crucified, but also the risen Lord, the ascended King, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.